Welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast, all officially rebranded, all nice and special and official with the new logo. Uh, Raj is 100% on board now moving forward with everything. He's got the keys to the car and everything moving forward. (laughs) I'm super stoked about that. Thank you guys for coming to hang out with us on a Friday morning to talk some Lakers and some other NBA stuff. Raj, how are you doing this morning, man? Doing well, man. Beautiful Friday morning. Uh, yeah, State of the Lakers is now uh, all new branded, and uh, we got fans <laughs> back. We got people in the building, so um, new brand, new fans, uh, AD coming back. This is a, it's a good week. Things are going up. Yeah, exactly. They got, we, got to, uh, uh, we got to have fans in the building to watch the Lakers get humiliated by Jalen Brown last night. <laughs> um, so uh, you and I both watched the game last night. There, it was interesting in the sense that, you know, it was the, the classic archetype of a basketball team that gives the, the Lakers problems. The, the big, rangy wings, because the Lakers kind of forego size and athleticism on the perimeter in favor of quickness and effort and guards that are like kind of dirty work, blue collar type of guards, usually kind of averaging around like six four, six five uh, type of size mm-hmm. frame. And so, you know, a lot of what Jalen Brown did last night, in my opinion, was more kind of a head of steam getting to the rim kind of thing, which is easier to shut off just by getting back in transition and building a wall. So some of that I thought was effort and focus, but there were a handful of plays where he got into the, into that mid range area and shot little push shots and floaters and scoop shots that, you know, shorter offensive players can't necessarily get off against the Laker defense. And it is a good example of where, uh, uh, where you can find some holes in that defense. Having a LeBron and an Anthony Davis really helps that. Uh, that said, you would you would assume that in a playoff series, they'd kind of put them on different players so they can roam around and save energy anyway. So it still is something to keep an eye on. But what did you think about the Laker defense and their attempt to stop Tatum and Brown? Yeah, like last night I thought it was a night for Drummond, basically. Like I know he was out, but I thought that would have been a perfect matchup for him. Uh with Boston, they run a they run a lot of plays to get their guys mid range pull ups. I think we talk about that a lot. Jalen Brown hit a bunch in the beginning. He had like three that rolled in. Uh, Tatum also looks for that shot. Kemba looks for that shot, and we had Marcus all dropping back because Mark can't switch onto those wings. Um, and then uh, on the other on the other end, that we weren't attacking them either. So they were just attacking us good into the rim. Uh, we had no rim protection really. Marcus all was the only one back there, and they just kept hitting their shots. And you got to give Jalen Brown went what nine for ten in the first half. I mean, like you said, he got to the rim a few times, but I thought a lot of them were the mid-range kind of pull-up um, variety. Kemba hit some tough pull-up threes, even when we switched on to him. And then Tatum had like a slow start, I think, in the first half, but then he got it going. So uh, you got to credit to them. They had everything going. I think they shot like 58% like the whole game, I think, until that fourth quarter kind of meltdown. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that whole game, they pretty much dominated. And Jalen Brown had like 40 on like 20 shots or some ridiculous efficiency number uh last night so yeah that, i thought they played well i thought last night again what a perfect time for drummond i would have liked them to switch a lot more i think boston the team got to switch against uh, but we just couldn't do that we didn't have the personnel for it last night yeah i agree uh, switching is a little bit better in the sense that uh for, for that specific team just because of the fact that you know i talked about this a lot before the season in my eastern conference preview that i did with tommy but like the biggest concern that I had for the Celtics moving forward is they were kind of going through a transition period. You know, uh, uh, they had been offloading a lot of the playmaking and decision making to Kemba Walker and to Gordon Hayward. And then basically what happened was is Gordon got uh, uh, assigned by Charlotte and Kemba had some knee issues to start the year. And I actually predicted them to struggle this year just because Tatum and Brown are kind of always uh, attacking in isolation, kind of tunnel vision type of guys. And that kind of thing doesn't necessarily work unless you have someone that can help you make decisions alongside them. And so predictably, they struggled a lot this year. And then even when Kemba came back, he wasn't really himself. But I expected them to kind of go on a late season run when Kemba kind of got his legs back underneath him and when Marcus Smart got his legs back underneath him. I think they're every bit as good as as Milwaukee or some of the other teams at the top of these. Not as good as Philly and uh, Brooklyn, but I think they're every bit as good as Miami or, or, or Milwaukee or some of those more flawed teams. Um, and they're, they're a team that's going to be a pain in the butt to knock out in a playoff series. And good challenge. I expected them to beat the Lakers last night. Um, 
under the circumstances. But you're right. I mean, with with Marcus all like the with the with Marcus all is the only guy around the rim. It was just driving lanes yeah. all day long. They uh, uh, and Marcus all, you know, he's a good positional defender, but it only works when all of the other guys are kind of on a string. And uh, if you can continue to run head up into him, he just doesn't have the athleticism anymore to, to really protect the rim. And so I thought I thought they did a, a, a you know, I thought that the, it was kind of easy, easy stuff around the rim for Boston to take advantage of. Um, uh, as far as like, you know, and it's 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 funny too, just really quickly, like the the you, you saw a lot last night, too, of Montrez Harrell's weaknesses around the rim in the sense that mm-hmm. he just doesn't he just doesn't bother guys down there. Uh, when he's in any sort of like drop coverage around the room. I think with a team like Boston, what you have to do is really make them feel like they're playing in a crowd and make them kick out the shooters and make them live outside, uh, I think is a better option in that particular matchup. Yeah, I thought they missed uh, Keith last night too. I and mean, we kind of started small, right? We had Schroeder, KCP, Wes, and Kuzma as our front line along with uh, Marcus Gasol. And uh, they really picked on that. Jason Tatum got switches with Schroeder and they had a trap double. Jalen Brown as well. And then Trez, he's just not equipped to take. I mean, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are two of the top, like what, eight, six wings in the league. Like they're all-star wings, star level wings. So that's not really a matchup for him to play against as well. So I thought they really took advantage of that. And again, on the other side, like Schroeder does not look right. Like I don't know what, I think his foot still bothering him. I think Vogel talked about that as well. So we just didn't have him 100%. He wasn't able to defend at the level that he would usually be able to. And our size just wasn't there. And they got to the rim. Jalen Brown got comfortable early. You could tell that once those first few jumpers got down, uh, he just had it going. You couldn't stop him. And then Tatum started hitting step back threes. Uh, Marcus Spart hit pull up threes, thinking like three pull up threes um, as well. Um, I want to ask you is their like bench, I mean, their third string is just not, or their second and third string is just not good in my opinion like I feel like that's where they're gonna have trouble beating a team like Milwaukee because like they have a really good top six and then from there I feel like it really craters um they go from like Marcus Bart to uh the rookie that they play forgot his name uh the the Pritchard. Yeah, yeah yeah Payne Pritchard they go to him I mean he had a good like he had hit a few shots but I feel like from there that's when they kind of get hurt with their talent level they have like Smith that's in the rotation as well so um, I think that's where they're struggling but they have a really good top six I mean smart Tatum Brown uh can compete with anyone uh, including uh, including Philly, in my opinion. I mean, they, they swept Philly last year. Even I know Ben Simmons didn't play, but I mean, still, like that's that's something that happens. So that's, they're going to be a tough out uh, for sure. Yeah, you know, they they're if you listen to anybody who watches the Celtics a lot, your your stereotypical uh, Boston fans, the, the bench is what is, what they've complained about the most this year. They trust their starting yeah. lineup. You know, even when Kemba was struggling, they talk a lot about how uh, uh, they counted on him, on him to eventually be able to contribute, and he's he's kind of slid down into a lesser role. I thought he had it going pretty good last night, and he only took like I think he only took like twelve shots or something like that. So it's not like he's super aggressive anymore. Um, but their bench has been super inconsistent, always has been. Uh, that's been their weakness. The thing that I always say, is though, though is that uh, uh, the bench is much less important in the playoffs. Sure. I mean, think, think about the Clippers last year. People were obsessed with their bench and and what they did. And, and then literally, they uh, um, in the playoffs, they just uh, uh, the bench was meaningless. And if anything, was was their weak point uh, just because of the fact that a team shrink their rotation and all of a sudden your bench lineups aren't going against bench lineups. They're going to be going against starters more often and and they're just going to get beat. Um, uh, but yeah, like I, I think I thought it was an interesting test for them just because it goes to show you it's, it's an example of how they're going to have to beat uh, the Clippers, which is you, you just you have to make them feel like they're playing in a crowd. You know, like Jalen Brown was too comfortable yesterday. Jalen Brown's a decent ball handler. He had that behind the back dribble going like crazy last night. In the second half, he had two unbelievably nasty behind the back dribbles. But he's not like a really really high level ball handler. If you make him feel like he's playing in traffic, he's gonna be sloppy. He's going to make mistakes. You're going to get steals. You're going to be able to to, to turn them over. And uh, the same goes for Tatum, who's generally considered like as far as wings go, an average to below average ball handler. So, bottom line, like I thought it was a good challenge for them. I expected them to get beat, but at the same time, like if they if they have the ADs and the LeBrons to kind of add a little bit more of a switching element, a little bit more athleticism around the rim, it makes them significantly better, more capable of making them play in a crowd and making them struggle. I wouldn't worry about that matchup. Boston's not coming out of the East anyway, uh, but I wouldn't yeah. worry about them in that matchup. I just think it's an interesting, like, 
they're the Clippers of the East, and it's an interesting just challenge for them to kind of figure out because that's what it's going to be like. There's going to be a lot of Paul George coming off screens, and 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 Alex Caruso is not going to be able to bother him as much. And I think Wes is really the only one of the smaller guards that can really give some of those guys some trouble, particularly Kawhi, just because he tries to play so much with strength. But it's just an interesting matchup for them. Uh, but I wanted to transition to the injuries. So just so obviously last night, Mark Gasol basically breaks his pinky on his left hand. Uh, mm-hmm. Andre Drummond gets his foot stomped on. Uh, 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 Dennis Schroeder has a foot infection, which I'm wondering what that is. It could be a number of different things. Uh, my guess is that it might be something like along the lines of an ingrown toenail kind of deal. A uh, basketball players deal with that a lot, where like your yeah. toe just like so many times gets rammed into the front of your shoe that that area just kind of like swells up. And then when it, if there's any sort of break in the skin, it just can get infected. Um, and mm-hmm. that can be super painful. And then uh, obviously AD is going to be dealing with minutes restrictions when he comes back uh, at some point in the next few days. And then LeBron appears to still be a couple weeks out. So just what is your overall like outlook on the Lakers in their health and what it means for them moving forward? Yeah. So I feel like, Again, I feel like they're playing with house money right now because they went what four and three on the road trip, right? Like I like if you do that, you can kind of go through these games. I mean, Boston wasn't really winnable. These next two against Utah are probably not very winnable, right? You're, like if you can split these, great. And then you have a, I think you have two games against Dallas as well coming up. So if you can just get a split in any of that, I think they're fine. Their injuries are, are starting to pile up. It is kind of crazy. Um, everyone who, I mean, Drummond's been here like three weeks and he's already had two injuries. It's just pretty insane. Marquise Morris is out. I don't know. I forgot what he's out for. Um, but yeah, he's also out. He was a big part of why they're four and three on that road trip. Like he was a big part of their offense, be able to give it to him, uh, score in the post and things like that. So like, it, it's tough. I feel like. I feel like when AD gets back, though, it'll really put everyone in the correct role, like no matter who's there, I guess, because he can play the five, play the four. Even when the minutes restriction, it gives like a uh, it gives a clarity to the offense where the ball should go um, and just give them some more structure. You could tell last night even like there's just no structure, especially against a team like Boston, uh, who has the capability to be a good defensive team. They really took them out of their their place. KCP really struggled. Uh, I think the four starters, not including Gasol, were like three for 19 in the first half. And that's just because of the shot selection they were taking. It was awful shots. Kuzma, Shooter, all taking uh, contested three-pointers, trying to get those to go. So, that, like, the injuries, that's part of the season. Um, but, again, you have, like, a month to get healthy here. Uh, I feel like these are all pretty minor, right? I think the Marcus Saul one is, like, a week for his pinky. Um, the Drummond one, I think the toe is just pain management. Uh, he said he got stepped on again. Markeith Morris doesn't seem like he'll be out too long. And then AD, obviously, should be back by monday or something like that so they're not huge injuries but they do pile up on a team who's already shorthanded already you know playing all these games in short amount of time uh i think they played like uh i think the broadcast said they played 35 games in like 60 days which is just insane for this schedule that's going on so like that's where i am with the injuries how about you what do you what do you feel about them yeah, none of them are major, which is significant in the sense that uh, like AD in, in his shoot around stuff that I see, he looks more or less like Fine. he used to. I mean, I, I expect him to have a slow start as he kind of gets to sea legs in basketball shape kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then LeBron, same exact same exact type of vibe. Um, but the bottom line is, is like in a, uh, you can attribute a lot of these injuries to wear and tear, right? Like a lot of, I mean, some of them are just bad luck, like. The Drummond getting his toenail ripped off, that's bad luck. Marcus all breaking his pinky, that's bad luck. Like uh LeBron uh ankle injury, that's bad luck. Some of the stuff though is wear and tear. Anthony Davis, that's a wear and tear injury. Like Dennis Schroeder, I know uh, we don't really know the details, but I would he's been kind of banged up lately. I, I would imagine that that's probably wear and tear. Uh, uh, you know, you can attribute it to that. So the question then becomes like in a playoff series, when the schedule gets stretched out, you're never playing a back to back. Anytime you travel, usually they give you a second day off in that travel day. Uh, uh, it's going to be more of a traditional playoff schedule. You're never in any city for more than three, four days at a time. You're always you're getting to go back home. And then just uh, just in general, it's a much more manageable basketball schedule. And so, mm-hmm. in, as long as as long as everybody gets healthy by then, I have I generally believe that they're going to be able to you know uh, um, like kind of do a better job of just maintaining and avoiding the wear and tear type of injuries that can cause them uh, problems moving forward. But it just it, this is where their depth is an advantage. Like the truth of the matter is, is the Lakers have never really been. Uh, this season, they've never really been a rim protection team. Last year they were, 
in the playoffs they're going to be. But this year, because of Drummond not being here for the most part, you know, Marcus all basically being their only center because Anthony Davis has been out. They've been thriving defending without that size. So I, they should be able to do a better job than they did last night. I just thought it wasn't their best defensive effort. I thought they let Jalen get too comfortable and then he just started taking off on him. But theoretically, uh, they, they, their depth is an advantage here. They should be able, like, Markeith is out. You don't even really notice in the rotation because there's just so many guys that can play. You know, the uh, Drummond's out. You don't even notice because there's so many guys that can play. So their depth is an asset. You take their, they should take their, like Dennis should not have played last night. That's kind of my opinion on it. Like he's got a foot infection. What's he doing out there? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Some someone told me like I think I was critical of Dennis, and they said uh, he has an injury. I was like, well, I mean, if you're playing, I'm gonna treat you as if you're playing. You know what I mean? Like I understand people are hurt, but like if you're gonna play, I expect a certain standard of play, like or just sit out. I'd rather him sit out than look how he did last night. At least like he looked really slow. He couldn't get by Tristan Thompson on switches. Boston was switching a lot. And he just could not get by him. So I'd rather those guys just uh, take out and rest and. You can never be too care- careful. I mean, we saw what happened with Jamal Murray recently, right? I mean, Jamal mm-hmm. Murray just like tore his ACL, that which is really sad. But yeah, you could see what what could happen if you rush back. So I would like those guys to kind of sit out. Now, now people say that injury isn't really connected to anything, but like I, I feel like some kind of wear and tear or overcompensation of his. I think he had his right knee hurting, and then he tore his left knee ACL. Or you know, I'm not a doctor, but I feel like those two things are kind of connected. So you want people to uh, sit out and wait until uh, they're good enough to come back. So. Right now, they can fight through it. And Dallas, I think, I mean, Luka just hit a ridiculous shot, I think, recently to give Dallas a win. But they're not waiting at an re- incredible pace right now. I think they're three games back. Um, Denver, I think you're expecting them to fall a little bit. So I feel like the Lakers are pretty pretty much going to be locked into that five seed, in my opinion. Like, I don't think Portland's catching them. I don't think Dallas is catching them. Uh, Denver might fall. But I think the top three is pretty clearly going to be Utah, Clippers, and Phoenix, unless something uh, miraculous happens so I, I don't think they have to worry about standings anymore i'm tired of standing watching it is not fun like I, it is not fun to have to root against all these west teams every night um but uh yeah so i don't want to do that anymore but uh yeah like I, I think they'll be fine i don't think the injuries uh will stop anything like that and, and they're all minors so all these guys can get back in time and be ready for the playoffs their schedule too gets like ridiculously crowded here over the next yeah. month. There's like a, if I remember correctly, there's like four stretches of back to backs in their next like 12 games. So it's like, even if LeBron came back in a week, you're still looking at uh, like AD on a minutes restriction. LeBron will probably be on some kind of minutes restriction. They probably will take a bunch of these games off and back to back. So it's not like they're really queued up to go on some crazy run in the standings anyway, because they're dealing with the simple fact that they, uh, uh, that the schedule is working against them. So, you know, I, I agree with you. Like Portland, Portland's not good enough to, to let them drop back. Uh, past number six in my opinion and and the Lakers always have that extra gear they can get to playing guys if it push comes to shove and it's like we're one game back of of getting to lock down this particular seed they can go on a run in the last couple weeks of the season my guess is they will anyway just for the simple fact of of trying to build some sort of rhythm and consistency going into the playoffs but I think they're I think they're in good shape I mean we uh, what were the things that we really were looking for during this run? We wanted to see if they could still defend. We wanted to see if they could rediscover their jump shooting. We wanted to see, you know, if there was any other uh, uh, guys that could kind of find their sea legs in the middle of the season. Guess what? Dennis, even though he struggled as, you know, the guy who was receiving the vast majority of the defensive attention, he succeeded in the sense that he did so in a way that allowed the Lakers to win games. They won six of these games. That's awesome. They, uh, uh, he defended extremely well. He did show against specific matchups that he can still attack the rim against centers and do the things that the Lakers will need him to do in a playoff series. Kyle Kuzma had a few moments, which is impressive because he has been dealing with some nagging stuff with his calf. Markeith Morris is legitimately better than he was last year. He's a better basketball player than he was last year. He's more thin. He's more mobile. He's got a lot more of an in-between game. Last year, he was kind of more of just a spot-up shooter. He's a guy you can throw down to on the block, and he can make plays. Alex Crusoe's jump shot is like a revelation. That's a huge deal. (laughs) 
And, and, and there's, and then, and then Ben McLemore, even though he's been dealing with the lack of shot quality is still an incredible option for the Lakers. So they're, they're in really good shape. And, and, you know, the most important thing to keep in mind is the Lakers have fallback lineups they can go to if things don't work. Like if LeBron and AD come back and the drum and fit just isn't really there. And, and, you know, for whatever reason, like the shooters not vibing with LeBron and AD, they always can go to a lineup that consists of AD at the five, LeBron at the four and KCP and Alex Caruso and, you know, Wesley Matthews or something. And they'll have chemistry that they've built up over a year and a half. And so they have like backup lineups that they can go to. I, I, I would say that this stretch without LeBron and AD has been revealing in a good way. And as long as LeBron and AD are healthy, I would be just as optimistic as I was before the season. Yeah, and I feel like this. Uh, if there's any silver lining to the Drummond injury, it kind of got Marcus Salt going as well. You could tell it like lit a fire under him. Um, I always call him a release valve. Like when Shooter has nowhere to go, he got a kick to him, and he was taking the threes. I think he had like five threes last night or something, and he was aggressive. Um, he was even rolling to the rim, shooting that little mid range shot. I want him to shoot more. Like I don't think he ever shoots enough. Um, he'll never be that kind of like uh, selfish kind of player. Well, he'll shoot like crazy. But I just he just needs to on this team uh, for right now. And I love that he's aggressive. He's in a rhythm. You could tell. Um, it sucks that he broke his pinky or dislocated or however however painful that must have felt. But uh, he it, it it's great that he's kind of he's kind of gotten going. And hopefully this doesn't kill his rhythm because he was really playing well. Um, he was. He was playing okay defensively. Again, that's not a game for him to be playing out there and switching, but it's just good to see him in a rhythm offensively look like the old Marcus Saul. You know, he gets to the rim, he finishes at the basket, he's taking his little mid-range. He, I think the Lakers' first points last night was a post-up to him, and he hit like a fadeaway jumper. Um, I think that got them going. And again, he just kept pulling from three um, because they left him open. Uh, that's exactly what they did in the playoffs as well. If you talk to any um, Toronto Raptors fan, they'll tell you that Marcus Hall kind of got played off the floor against Boston because he wouldn't shoot. He wouldn't take that three, and they would play off him, and they did the same thing last night. Now you can see his defensive problems as well, but he's going to need to take that shot, especially even when AD gets back. Like I need him pulling from there because he's too good a shooter to pass these up and try to find guys in back cuts when the center's already in the paint. Like It's really tough to kind of create from there. He had a couple of wild passes last night, but uh, he was pretty much the point guard because Schroeder couldn't do anything yesterday, so he was the one orchestrating, getting guys around screen. So if there's any silver lining to uh, Drummond's toe being uh, pulled off or whatever you want to call it, uh, I think it's Marcus Saul getting going, and uh, including all those guys you listed. Uh, I thought Alex Crusoe was really good last night. He was probably their best player other than THT in the fourth quarter. Um, but I thought Caruso was awesome. I thought him, he kind of changed the game. The game was getting out of hand and he brought it back close again. And then the Celtics went on another run before the half. But those two guys, I think, really had it going last night. And then uh, all those other dudes really played well during the road trip. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, all these guys seem to be going at the right time, right? The team seems to be rolling at the right time. And then when the stars get back, you can kind of get a full picture. But right now, you're just trying to see guys play well. Um, the scoreboard, to me, isn't really important in these next few games. Utah is destroying teams. Utah, we play them twice. And then Dallas again twice. So if you can just split any of those games, I think that's a win. Uh, but yeah, Boston was going to be a tough one yesterday. Yeah, I don't think Marcus Hall is going to sit out that long. <clears throat> it's his non-shooting hand. It's his pinky um, yeah. you know, generally speaking, when it comes to him throwing his passes, his like little bounce passes on back doors and his lobs over the top, he generally uses his right hand and he the palms the ball a lot of the time. And so <clears throat> I don't necessarily think it's going to impact him all that much. Um, also, I think like as Drummond's dealing with his toe thing that I think he's going to want to play. Like my guess is he's going to be lobbying with the training staff to play. Um, a big part of it's going to be pain. I mean, if it's just so incredibly painful, then yeah, it might be a problem, but, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. Like they're going into a ridiculously tough stretch of their schedule. If they get like one or two of these, that's nice. And guess what? Like Anthony Davis playing 15 minutes in a game, isn't going to be enough to really swing the tide of these games, in my opinion. And it's not like they're going to be playing him in crunch time anyway. Generally speaking, when when coaches have players on, on uh, minutes restrictions, they don't play him in crunch time specifically because they don't want them to play in the most intense basketball to start. Like, I think it would be, if he started playing in their next game, I think he'd probably be another week or two before they'd start playing him in crunch time. 
Um, uh, but yeah, I think I think I think like you said, they're in, they're in good shape, and LeBron and AD should be really easy plugins because no yeah. one really got too far outside of their role. Like all of them did a little bit more than they used to, but it was a lot of Schroeder, it was a lot of Kuzma, and guess what? Those guys are going to still be relatively aggressive when LeBron and AD come back anyway. So I think it, I think it's an easy natural fit. Um, did you have any other Lakers stuff that you wanted to touch on before we move into some of the league wide stuff? Uh, not really. I think that was pretty good. I think a lot of people, I think last night you could just chop up to the starters just played awful. I mean, they were three for 19 in the first half. I, I don't know what you can do with that. And Jalen Brown just had a pretty awesome night. So I think, I think that pretty much covers, uh, the, the Lakers week, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They played what? They beat Charlotte. And uh, I think, I don't know if we talked since then, but, uh, yeah, I think that was it. Um, oh, they had the big Brooklyn win, right? But we talked that. Yeah, we talked about that one in the Monday show. Room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think I think that was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and uh, um, one of the other things I was thinking about is uh, what I think would be fun to try, and we can you and I can talk about this a little bit more off the air. But uh, um, I was thinking about last night for you know I, I don't think we'd release it as a podcast, but it'd be fun to do. You know how you have access to that spaces that's on mm-hmm. Twitter. Oh it'd yeah, be, yeah. Yeah. It'd be fun to do one of those just during a game and just have it <laughs> yeah. where we just talk through the game. I think that'd be fun to try it and oh, at yeah. least give it a shot. We'll it'd be really stupid. And we could uh, never do it again, but it's worth maybe talking about. Um, sure, anyway, yeah. so, I, not I recorded, a, so they wouldn't yeah, exactly. know. Yeah. No one would yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. We could totally butcher it and it would be totally. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I wanted to uh, touch on a few, um, uh, league wide things. The first thing I was going to talk about was this LaMarcus Aldridge thing. And I, I, w- I was curious to see what you thought. So the, the alert came across my phone and Shams, you know, I, I, I like Shams. He's my guy. I have his tweet notifications on. It, it's, it's fine. But uh, he did something that was pretty messed up yesterday. He, uh, quote, he didn't quote tweet. He just tweeted out news that had already been broken literally by LaMarcus Aldridge himself, provided no context. And my first thought that came, my first thought that came to my mind when I saw Shams' tweet when it came across my phone was, like, I wonder if it was kind of like a Carmelo Anthony with the Houston Rockets thing, where, like, like he, started playing there, had some big offensive games, but then clearly Daryl Morey like sat down with him and was like, Hey, we're going to stop playing you. <laughs> and then, and then he was just like, Oh, well I'm, I'm leaving the team. You know, I was one, that was, that was where my my mind went first was like, I wonder if like he's been so bad defensively in his first few games that like the staff or the front office basically was like, we're done with you. Uh, and maybe that was why. And then immediately after comes the, the heart stuff. And uh, which is really sad. It, it's it's sad because my guess is he picked Brooklyn because he wanted to win the title, and uh, it's 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 a shame that he's not going to get his chance. Um, but it, it's the actual condition itself that's really interesting to me, and the reason why is because I personally have dealt with this on a couple of occasions. It's been a while, um, but there were a couple of occasions. Once at a Pima practice, which was the first junior college that I played at. And then there was uh, a time in Charlotte more recently in like 2017 where I was playing and all of a sudden like my heartbeat shifted and it went from, you know, like usually when I'm playing hard, it'll beat at about 170 beats per minute. It's like my I'm really playing hard type of, of heart rate, which is pretty typical. Um, but it's like, it's a strong heartbeat that just happens to be going fast. Well, there were these, in these random occasions, all of a sudden, like it was like lumpy, like there was like a distinct lumpiness to the heart rate. It was inconsistent. It would go super fast and then it would like skip a beat. It was doing all this really funky stuff. And at one point I remember I was just playing pickup in Charlotte when it happened, but I like sat on the floor in between games. And I remember just sitting, thinking to myself, like, I'm going to like drop dead here any second. Like I remember sitting there, I was literally thinking, cause it was I, like, I, I could tell that I, my, my, my body was, was weird. I was almost in like a little bit of shock. And I remember just sitting on the floor, like any minute now, like it's going to happen. But I was in like so much shock that I like, I like stayed, I stayed for like one more game and it still felt weird. And I went home and I was sitting on the couch and my, my heartbeat was still going crazy. So it'd been like 25 minutes and like I was completely cooled down and my heartbeat was going like 130 beats per minute, just like pounding. And it was super weird. And then all of a sudden, like almost like a reset, like, like a click, my heart rate just, heart rate just restored to normal. And I was super freaked out about it. And so I talked to my doctor and I remember he said to me, he goes like, He's like, almost every patient that I have at some point in their life brings up something along these lines, whether it's associated with working out or it's 
you know, you're just sleeping and you feel like your heart rate's a little lumpy or whatever it is. And he goes, he was like, basically, your heart has a built-in defibrillator. It's an electrical system that's in your heart that's already there. And basically, mm-hmm. it takes a while for your body to become aware of the fact that, that your heart is out of rhythm. But when it is, when it finally identifies that, it just shocks it with like its own little personal defibrillator and resets the heart rate. And he's like, so what will happen is, is you'll have like some sort of lumpy thing going on. And then, uh, and then, uh, uh, it'll, it'll eventually reset and it's weird when it happens and it can be scary. He's like, but don't be scared. He's like, if you went to a cardiologist, I'd be concerned. Cause he was like, the one thing that's actually concerning with cardiac stuff is fatigue. Like if you just can't get your energy up, like if you just go to exercise and there's just nothing there, that's usually has to do with a, a problem with your circulation and the fact that you're just not getting enough oxygen to your muscles. And so what's funny about that is he said in his tweet, his little message, he said, I'm fine now. That's what he said. Yeah. So I wonder if the doctors told him like, Hey, this is normal. You're fine. We ran an EKG. Everything looks fine. And he just doesn't want to do it. And which is his decision. He's a grown man. And I get that. And I can relate to how scary that moment was, but I'm curious to, to see if he's actually healthy and he's just spooked or if the doctors looked at him and said, like, you're high risk for X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what, what was your takeaway from that whole thing? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever had an irregular heartbeat. That sounds like just just looking at that. That sounds very painful. You know, what I mean, just the word of irregular heartbeat. You never want to have an irregular anything, let alone a heartbeat. So I thought that was kind of scary. Um, I think my favorite thing about the shams, like part of this, is like go to any shams tweet, right? And then my favorite thing is someone replying with like the press release that comes out like a minute before his tweet, right? So like he'll he'll like say this person signed on a two way or whatever, and someone will just reply with a press release from the actual team so i think that that's kind of funny but shams is shams is not in shams is in the business of scoops right that's his business is being first that's what he's paid for i mean i mean he's also a really good reporter and all that but he's paid to be first that's what he's paid for so it, i mean it's not surprising when this is kind of the out the uh, the outlook of that is that you get a guy who's trying to be first and everything. So um, he didn't lie. He said Aldridge was retiring, which is a fact. He just didn't give the uh, context of it. So that's part of the chance part. But yeah, the Aldridge part, it's sad. You want to see players go out on their own terms, right? You want to see players decide when they leave. Uh, you don't want to see them like have to leave because of a health condition or and Aldridge, you know, he played a great career, 15 years. Um, I, I think it's funny you had the Carmelo kind of comparison because I think those two are really similar. Um, they, their leagues are kind of their uh, games are kind of outdated today, right? Two guys who want to shoot fadeaway mid range jumpers when that shot is pretty much being taken out of the league, especially when you're not a superstar like Aldridge and Carmelo are right now. But they still take that kind of shot and it can drive their teams crazy. And he was on a winning team. I don't think he would have left if it wasn't something that he was really tra- traumatized by. Obviously, he was. Um, so I guess my, my question to you is that like how what kind of pain is that is that like a chest do you feel like a chest pain with that or is it just you could you you knew right away it was your heart or like my my question is like, what kind of pain is that is my, my question because i get chest pains all the time uh but i like i don't i don't associate that with like a regular heartbeat i just associate that with like fatigue or um you know things happen in your body and you just get tired or whatever so like my question is like what kind of pain is that? is that like really painful where you can't sit kind of thing or is it just like you just feel yourself in a rush even though you're not doing anything your 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 body has like a high amount of uh, energy or stamina what does that pain feel like it's not a pain to be honest oh, and and i don't think he he didn't say it was painful in his thing no, and it's, yeah like it it's you just know something's wrong like you feel right. your heartbeat like going crazy and like mm-hmm. like i would like feel my pulse and my pulse would just be outrageously fast and, okay. and, uh, and I just remember like being unsettled just cause you know, something's wrong. Like you just, you just know something's wrong. And, yeah. uh, and like, like it's, it's, I can just, I relate to that feeling. Cause like in those situations for, uh, in college, it was at a practice and then the other time it was pickup, but like the game had no stakes. So I would, mm-hmm. I could kind of like, I could kind of like float around in the sense that like I knew something was up and it didn't matter if I didn't get back on defense once. Cause I was just kind of like feeling out what was going on with my body. 
But like, I feel bad for LaMarcus because he's in like this nationally televised huge game where the Lakers are kind of taking it to him. Drummond's pounding it down his throat and, and literally like he's getting slandered on Twitter. Meanwhile, in his head, he's completely preoccupied by the fact that his heart is acting up. And so I can see how that would have been kind of a jarring experience. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing too, is like, you know, at the time I didn't have a wife or, or, uh, really a family. So like other than my, you know, my immediate family that I grew up in. And so like, it just was, I can imagine he just had a fear. Like, uh, what if I don't get to go home to my kids? You know, like it's just, yeah. it, 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 it's sketchy, but I, I'm, I'm happy for him that he's retiring. I wouldn't be completely shocked if he came back at some point because yeah, I think he's still, mm-hmm. I said before that I thought he was the best buyout guy that was available. And I was like upset that the Lakers didn't get him. And the truth of the matter is, is that he like, like he's got good basketball remaining. And if his heart is clean, if there's a good, clean bill of health, if they do EKGs and, and, uh, 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 and look at his heart and it appears to be in good health, my guess is the fear will fade at some point. And if the fear mm-hmm. fades, then I could see him coming back next year uh, and playing basketball again, but but I, I would just be interested. Like I said, I don't have any intel on this. I my heart thing that I experienced could be completely different than what Lamarcus experienced. But I do wonder if uh, I do wonder what happened in that meeting, and if it was one of those things where the doctor was like, "Oh, you're fine. Like this happens to people, and then you're and then you just calm down and you're good." Or or if it was if it was a little bit of an issue. And the other thing too is it is contact related. So he claims that he got bumped. And yeah. then when he when he got bumped is when it happened. Well, that the, the uh, it, ha- it happened the same way to me. Like I d- did like a really aggressive drive to the basket, and a dude kind of like knocked me down, and that's when it started. And like if you think of your heart as like this muscle that's kind of like going in rhythm, and if there's a bump that knocks it out of rhythm, and then suddenly it's just kind of going at a different pace it requires a full reset for it to kind of get back into, into gear. But like, dude, it's not like your heart's not beating because if it stopped beating, you die. Like your, your heart's just, <laughs> your heart's just out of rhythm. And, and, and that's the thing. Like LaMarcus was still playing an NBA basketball game. So it's not like his, his heart was completely not functioning, you know, like it, it but anyway, it's super interesting. And I'm not a doctor. I just think this stuff is super fascinating. And, and I just remembered mm-hmm. when he said, when I read his thing, I was like, dude, I know exactly how you felt. Uh, in that moment and i I did think that that was interesting the only thing is he's like 35 right so i'm guessing you were a lot younger when that when that happened so yeah, it's like um, 26 or something like that yeah so and then also he's probably more at peace with his career his life you know what i mean i don't think retiring is easy for any player right that's that's like a huge decision that's to put away what you've been doing for the last forget nba 20 what since he was 15 probably he was playing basketball so um hey, that's a tough decision i don't think he would get to retirement without you know weighing all the options there he's also giving up a good sum of money as well that he already gave up like 7 million to get out, go to Brooklyn from San Antonio. Right. That wasn't an easy, I think he gave back like 6 million or something like that, whatever it was um, to be bought out and go to Brooklyn. So it's a big decision for him to stop playing and, and to uh, retire. So I feel like that's a big decision. Maybe he comes back next year. You never know, but uh, he seems at peace with it. So I'm happy for him. And uh, I hope his career is remembered because he's one of the old, old school dudes that, uh, isn't really uh, played like the modern game is now. It's kind of again like the Carmelo Anthony uh, comparison. I, I like that one. So, yeah, I hope he's I hope he's fine. But if he wants to come back next year, that'd be that'd be great. I think he'll be welcome. Yeah, he'll have a lot of suitors. Um, but yeah, that it's it's interesting. You're right. Like it's a really scary thing, especially. But when you put it that way, I guess because uh, you make it sound at least a lot more calm. But I feel like in that moment, it was probably a little bit more, a little bit more shaky, a little bit more uh, nervous. But uh, yeah, ho- hopefully he, uh, he he feels better about it, and maybe maybe he can come back. Who knows? Yeah, I'm not saying he should come back. I'm just saying like like if if his doctors told him what he told me, then uh, yeah, then there's a chance that like he, the fear will fade because I would imagine like in the immediate future, it's still like a little sketchy and like he's still a little scared. Um, yeah. So let's move on to this MVP stuff. So. Uh, basically, you know, uh, Tim Bontemps does a straw poll. He does it twice a year. He does it, you know, a third of the way through the season. Then he does it uh, two thirds of the way through the season. Polls actual voters. They do an actual MVP vote. Gives you a really good idea of what the, you know, the 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 kind of the status of that debate is. 
And I think uh, I think we all expected Jokic to be the favorite. He's definitely more of a favorite than he thought. But uh, I happen to be one of the people who thinks that Embiid deserves it. And the reason why I think Embiid deserves it is really simple. I just think that I would rather punish or not punish, but I would rather err on the side of rewarding a guy who's in a top seed. And the Sixers are going to be most likely the top seed in the East when it's all said and done. And, you know, as great as Jokic has been, and he's been amazing, I don't, you know, I, I look back at the Westbrook MVP as a mistake. And so basically, Wintorce gets in a debate with, with uh, uh, Bontemps, and they get arguing, and there's some cursing, and there's some other stuff. But basically, Wintorce was saying, like, I don't understand why Embiid, who basically missed a handful of games before and then missed six games with a with a knee issue or, or whatever it was that I don't understand why he is disqualified just like outright disqualified even though he's been on a better team been every bit as good offensively and arguably been better uh, significantly better defensively um and so my I, I I guess like my question to you is off the bat is do you think it's just over and Jokic is the MVP do you think Embiid has a chance how much should we weigh injuries in this debate? Yeah, so this is kind of a strange season. And I think like uh, they were talking about the previous kind of winners, right? And Iverson and all those dudes who, who won while missing a bunch of games. But uh, this year with the amount of players that rest, that take out, right? Like the whole league is starting to do resting. I'm um, trying to take care of the players, trying not to make them play every game. Um, the schedule is really compacted. I feel like at least this year, the amount of games missed shouldn't be as big of a like criteria that would take you out. Um, especially, especially like LeBron, probably he missed too many games. Like that's that's not going to happen. LeBron's not going to win an MVP. But Jokic and Embiid, I feel like I think Jokic has missed what like three games or something like that. I don't think he's missed very many. Embiid's missed ten already. I'm not sure he's, he's gonna, missed any actually. Oh, oh, maybe he's he's not missed any. Okay, but so I, Embiid's missed Embiid's missed ten. He's going to miss a few more. I'm guessing uh, going down the going down the line here. I just I feel like that shouldn't be taken too much into account. Like maybe if you want to give Jokic like the if there if it's a tie, give it to Jokic in that kind of way. But I, I wouldn't really look at it um, from that way. I feel like Embiid's still right there. I feel like those two. Denver's only three games back of the Sixers. Like, so I know the Sixers have the one seed, I guess, technically in the East, but I mean, Denver's only three games back and plus Jokic is going to play without Murray and all that. So I feel like if he can get a few wins here, he would probably be my, he's still my lead MVP, but Embiid's not out of it at all for me. Like I know what they're arguing about. Like when I think Wendy is saying that the games missed is probably too much for Embiid. Right. I think that was his argument, but Hmm. I I wouldn't take it into this type of season where everybody's resting guys. Everybody's trying to take care of of the legs for the playoffs. Um, This isn't that kind of way. So um, I, I feel like that's, that would be my take on it. How about you? Yeah. So uh, there are a couple of things that I think are interesting to this. Like you're right. The Nuggets, theoretically are not um uh, that far behind in the standings but my thing is you know if the if the nuggets end up with the let's call it the eighth best record in basketball and the sixers end up with the third best record in basketball why shouldn't we count that regardless of the gap you know the goal isn't to finish close to the top it's to finish at the top you know like it's a there's a that would be like the akin to saying that you know just because you lost a basketball game by one point you deserve like a a, a bigger participation trophy and and I, 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 for the record like if uh if Jokic finishes you know third in the standings I feel like it's a little bit more of a of a you know clean cut finish because he is so available but my thing is availability is just one small part of the story and you know this the huge thing with Jokic's case that gets pounded down everybody is this idea that he's having this historic offensive season and to me if there's one year to maybe not weigh that so much it's this year because this year defenses are struggling at a historic level this year uh um uh this year you're seeing like outlier offensive production from everybody you know like a, like the big Jokic thing is like oh he's averaging 28 11 and 8 or, or whatever it is and it's like that's mm-hmm. awesome but Zach Levine's giving me 28 you know like you know, just pick 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 a star on a team. They're giving you twenty five plus, and they're doing it pretty efficiently. That's just kind of the nature of the way basketball this year is this year because there's a ton of inconsistency in lineups, which has caused defensive problems, and there's a ton, a lack of practice time. 
And there's the, there were shorter training camps and all of these different things that are leading to that. So that's not to say that Jokic isn't still incredibly impressive offensively. I just think you, you when you're doing these sorts of things, you have to weigh all of the cases. And to me, the big thing that's in Jokic's favor is his playmaking and his availability. But, but his scoring is right about where Embiid is. And if I look at Embiid, his edge is his team is better and he's significantly better defensively. So to me, the cases are a little bit closer when you actually start to weigh them against each other. And if Embiid plays the majority of the rest of the game, and if they convincingly get the one seed, and if Jokic finishes in the you know the fourth or the fifth seed, my guess is they'll finish fifth or sixth because they do have a little bit of a talent disadvantage now in some of these games coming up. Um, but I think that Embiid should should have a chance. And unfortunately, with the way that this works, as you saw with the straw poll, everybody seemingly has already kind of turned in their award, uh, tar- turned in their ballot for Jokic. So it's it's hard to imagine him uh, getting to turn it around quickly enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, you said Levine also gives you twenty eight, but that's a different kind of twenty eight, right? I mean, Jokic is winning at an incredibly higher rate than uh, Levine is, and all the all of Denver's uh, offense goes through uh, Jokic, right? Like, I mean, it's not just like one play; every single thing runs through him. I mean, it was a it was through Murray and Jokic, but it was pretty much a Jokic style offense that he's running point guard and he's playmaking the whole time. I think Embiid is more scoring through the post; his playmaking is not as much of a factor for Philly, it's a and I think for him actually. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Teams double team him and he can't create the same kind of way. And uh, like he definitely anchors their defense, no doubt. But he has another defensive player of the year candidate right next to him. Right. Ben Simmons might win defensive player of the year. So I know Joel Embiid's been great defensively, but I mean, Ben Simmons is right next, right there next to him. Jokic, obviously, his defense isn't a you know, a positive for him. But uh, I feel like those two are right there, though. Like, I think the game's missed. Uh, I like I think Jokic has an advantage on that, obviously, but I don't think it's a huge kind of uh, waving thing that should decide the MVP race. I think you should see who's, you know, whose team played better. I think Jokic has Murray out. And if he wins still with this, I don't know how you, you can't give it to him. The narrative obviously has already taken over. Jokic MVP, you could see everywhere in the media and all that is already casting him as the MVP. But Embiid is right there for sure. 10 games is nothing to me in a season where everybody's resting. Everybody's getting letting people uh, stay out, not play back-to-backs, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't think it's a huge deal. But I think if it's a tie, then yeah, tie goes to the guy who played the more games. I think that's just how it, how it will go. That's fair uh, for this it, season. It, it, I don't have a problem with him getting the award to be clear. I just, as I consistently have complained about over the years, I just hate this. It's over type of attitude. That's a, that's oh, yeah, always, been, sure. uh, that's always been an issue for me. One last thing with the Jokic thing before we move on to he, speaking of narratives, he kind of took on this narrative this year that he was kind of doing it by himself. Yeah. And, and that was because Murray got off to a slow start, which had a lot to do with the bubble. And then historically, he's gotten off to a slow start in these seasons. I'm not sure why. I mean, there's, there's no real point in getting into why. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is for the last half of the season, uh, Murray's actually been better than he was in the bubble. Like literally, unbelievably just dumb. been awesome. Every bit as good as as, as Jokic. Uh, that's how good offensively he was. Basically, was like a, a 55, 45, 95 type of guy here over the over the last half of the season, averaging like 29 points a game. I don't know the exact numbers. I have to look it up. But he's been, Jamal Murray's been incredible here the last half of the season. And if you look at the Denver Nuggets in the standings, in the first half of the season when Jamal Murray was struggling, they were roughly a 500 team. And then when Jamal Murray got it going, suddenly they started to crawl up the standings and get into the into the uh, uh, the mix of things. And so the point is, is the the way that the Jokic story needs to be told, because the way you'll always see is like LeBron has Anthony Davis, even though Anthony Davis has been out most of the year. Or Embiid had Ben Simmons or, or whatever it is that you're you're painting the, you know, J- James Harden had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Well, the reality yeah. is, is no one out here is playing without star help. I mean, if anybody, it's Dame. And even CJ is really, really good. And before his injury this year, CJ was every bit as good as Dame, if, if not better. So the point is, is that, like everyone is the, the there's such a depth of talent in the league right now that to me that supporting cast argument gets a little fuzzy uh and and, and that narrative with Jokic kind of just kind of took on a a mind of its own the truth of the matter is is Jokic is also on a very good team and Jokic's very good team hasn't been as successful as some of the other really good teams even with him being more available and so to me, it just shouldn't be as big of a gap as it is. Doesn't mean he can't get the award. Doesn't mean he won't deserve it if he gets it. But I, I think it should be a little bit closer and a little bit more competitive. 
Yeah, and you can be. It's all contextual, right? This, this is not black and white at all. You can also say Jokic plays in the West, right, and Philly, and Philly plays in the East, and they play a lot of more tougher opponents, right? The West is a dogfight. Well, Phil, um, the East is going to have some five hundred team make a five seed. I mean, it's just uh, you can you can go with that as well. So there's a lot of things to go with that. But again, like the the argument that Wendy and uh, Bontemps were having about like, oh, is this right criteria? I mean, again, it's all contextual. Like you think the Russell Westbrook. Um, MVP was a mistake, right? I mean, I feel like it was the first time we saw someone, you know, average a triple-double. Like, I think that was a big deal. Plus the story, right? MVP's about the story, about the narrative. Kevin Durant left. Westbrook had this awesome season. Like, I I think it was fine for him to win it that year. I don't, I don't remember who the other MVP kind of cases were. It was Kawhi year, I, and Harden were the other two, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, like, I, I think it was fine. Like, I mean, he averaged a triple-double. That was a, something we haven't seen. Right now, it's just ordinary Westbrook Westbrook does that everywhere even if he's not winning so but uh yeah I think I think it was fine and then the story obviously with KD leaving it really pushed up that narrative I think he won the MVP as the four seed that year if I remember correctly and then uh they got out of the first they got out on the first round or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they but, lost to Houston. I think it was, I think they were the five seed. Oh, they were the five. I don't, I don't remember a hundred percent, but they, they were, they were roughly in the same position in the standings as Jokic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, I think that was understanding. Every year has its own kind of story. Every year has its own kind of narrative thing that goes into the MVP. Um, and I just don't think the games miss should be that big a deal in a season. Again, that we talked about that everybody's kind of, uh, not really prioritizing the regular season, right? This is a playoff. Uh, this is a get ready for the playoffs type of season. And you could tell uh, teams like Utah, they're blowing through teams because they obviously cared about the regular season. They obviously went through it with a mindset that we're going to try every, try hard every single night. You can see these other teams, especially the ones that were late in the bubble kind of thing, really start slow and uh, really work themselves through this season and start to pick it up now. So hmm. I don't mind the miss games thing. It could be a part of it. It doesn't need to be the whole conversation. I think we both kind of agree on that. Yeah, that for sure. No, we do. And, and I mean, the end of, at the end of the day, Jokic is going to end up winning and it'll be fine. It's just, I'm just, you know, complaining about the process. Oh, um, for sure. So real quickly, before we get you guys out of here, I wanted to, to get your opinion on this Steph Curry thing. Cause I, so basically, uh, uh, Steph recently lit up a couple of bad defenses. He lit up the the Rockets and the Thunder, who are bottom half defenses, and then he lit up the the, the Nuggets, who are a below average to average defense on any given night, depending on, on when you catch them. Right now, they're I think sixteenth or seventeenth in defensive rating in the league, if I if I remember correctly. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, Steph's been dominant all season, and if if you go back to what I said in my Western Conference preview podcast, which is in this same feed, I said before the season that. Steph's season was going to go one of two ways that he was either going to be like 2018 LeBron or like 2019 LeBron, uh, you know, a team, uh, uh, a season where he is dominant and they don't really have any real chance to win or a season where he gets hurt and he's really good when he plays, but you know, it ends up costing them a playoff run. And I was right because he's been healthy for the most part. And in his healthiness, he's been extremely dominant individually, and the team's not very good. Now, the difference in the standings between that team and the uh, uh, the 2018 Cavs is that the 2018 Cavs played in a weak Eastern Conference. They were able to go on some crazy win streak or win streaks playing against a weak Eastern Conference schedule, and LeBron was able to parlay that into a Finals run based on the fact that uh, they, they he played some inferior opponents in the in the in the in the, the playoffs, but he never really had any real chance of winning the title that year. I mean, even if Houston had gotten through it full strength i think they would have gotten beat but the the debate has become what version of steph is the best version of steph whether it's Mm -hmm. 2016 steph or 2021 steph and i think this is an interesting debate regardless of any you know private machinations going on with this fan base because i actually think it's really fascinating to talk about when you know a physical prime matches up with a mental prime when you start to see the game at an extremely high level, but you still have something in the tank athletically. I've always thought that's super fascinating. It's why I think 2018 LeBron was the better version of LeBron than 2013 LeBron, because he was most of the same athlete that he was, and he was this incredible basketball savant just with his brain and what he was able to do the game. So I think Steph in the 2021 version is the best version of Steph. Now, most Warriors fans that you talk to would tell you that it's 2016 stuff. And the reason is, is because they set up some rules. They set up some rules for how we evaluate basketball players. And these rules were basically 
Steph's winning, so Steph is the best. Because Steph fans think Steph is the best player in the world. Now, I disagree. You can make a case. I would disagree with you. But that's their case. Their case is mainly we won, and because we won, Steph is the best. Now, all of us critical thinking, you know, honest people could have been like, eh, like there's some context there. Like the guy you were trying to pass, you passed him by adding the dude who's also every Kevin bit Durant. as good as you guys. Yeah. Like there's some mm-hmm. obvious context there, but the problem is, is Steph is now not winning, you know, even with as amazing as he is, he's a fringe playoff guy. Like if the season ended today, the Warriors would be out of the playoffs. So they're having kind of a reckoning with their own rules that they set up. You know, and so it makes more sense for them to push this narrative that Steph used to be better and that this is some different phase of his career because it's how they can rationalize the difference between the two outcomes. When the reality is, is basketball is a team sport. And the only reason the Warriors are struggling right now is because their team is worse, which is basically just a product of injuries, which is just really bad luck. And it doesn't have anything to do with Steph. In my opinion, if this version of Steph was swapped for the 2016 version of Steph and played that NBA Finals, even with the same knee issues, he would have won that series because he has such a better command of the game now. He sees the floor so much better. He has such a better feel for the moment, when to be aggressive, when not to be aggressive, how to better take care of the basketball. Steph just is better now. And I think it's just been really funny to watch that fan base kind of like reckon with their own, you know, kind of bad logic that they used for so long and, and and to see how they kind of put, they kind of tied themselves into this, into this knot. Yeah. They're they're reckoning with mortality, right? That's basically what's happening here. (laughs) Like after you win so much and then you're reckoning with like, Hey, it's not that easy, right? You don't just win 60 games every year. The Warriors remind me so much of the Lakers after their three-peat where it was just Kobe, right? And then uh, it was Kobe in like 05, 06. And Kobe was averaging 35 a night. He was averaging like 35 and like eight assists. But they were a fringe playoff team similar to the Warriors right now. They were finishing at 500. Kobe was never going to touch an MVP in those years. But he was just going off. And Steph is kind of in that mode to me right now. It's where like he's mastered the game at a level where his teammates just can't catch up. I mean, his teammates just aren't at that level right now. It's kind of where Kobe was after the three-peat. And uh, obviously Kobe wasn't, uh, Kobe was better during that time. Just because Kobe was winning titles during the three-peat doesn't mean he was better than where he was in his later career when he turned like 27, 28. I know Steph's 33, but Steph also came into the league later, right? So I'm kind of using that progression as well. So when Kobe was like 33, Steph, when Steph is 33, Kobe was like 30 or something, some kind of comparison when they got into the league. Uh, Steph, Steph stayed a lot. Steph went to college, obviously. So uh, he just looks like he has a master of the game. He's averaging 30 a night on 42% from three. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and yeah, I, I, like that comparison just keeps going to me. Like James Wiseman reminds me of Andrew Bynum when the Lakers drafted Andrew Bynum at like 2007. Uh, Draymond reminds me of like Lamar Odom who like stayed over. Um, Shaq left. He's like, Kevin Durant, I'm kind of, I'm not saying Kevin Durant is Shaq, but you know, Kevin Durant's a dominant player, similar like when Shaq left, and now Steph is kind of trying to carry that. Clay Thompson is like, Clay Thompson's a lot better, but he reminds me of like the Derek Fisher, like, hey, we won titles together, like, we got to keep fighting this, and I think they'll eventually come back, but again, they're fighting mortality right now. It's just like when the Lakers, you know, went through their terrible stretch, and then now we're getting used to winning and getting, you know, back. It's just a circle of it. And no, I think Steph's better right now. Like in my opinion, his athleticism isn't there, but he's still finishing at the rim. Um, his layup package is still just insane. He gets to the basket, um, and no one can guard him. I mean, the defense is only guarding him. I and mean, let's be honest, there's Andrew Wiggins on the floor. Um, Juan Toscano Anderson is a nice player, but they're not guarding him. They're doubly tripling step and he's still averaging 30 shooting 42 percent from three on all the whole defense geared to him so i think he's better now i think it's a disservice that the warriors just decided to punt this season as as well i know clay thompson's injury like really impacted that but i mean still it's it, it's really sucks that we're gonna get i mean steph's probably gonna go in the play in tournament they're probably gonna be out the first round so but no i think he's better now if that's the debate i think he's better now uh but i mean you have a unanimous mvp season it's kind of hard to top that with your fans but yeah i think i think he's definitely uh he's mastered the game to a level you could just tell he's comfortable there's no defense that bothers him he knows every coverage every zone how to play every screen any defender how they're how they're chasing him he knows how to get him off him so that's that's how i see it there's you know first of all like i don't necessarily think he's lost a step even really athletically i think he looks more or less the same from a quickness standpoint you know you make a good point like okay how do you rationalize the fact that he won a unanimous mvp well 
the same way I rationalize the fact that LeBron won back-to-back MVPs and back-to-back finals MVPs. And I don't think he was as good as 2018 LeBron. It's all about circumstance. The 2016 Warriors were very good. You know, even though Clay wasn't quite what Clay was later on, Draymond was absolutely at his peak because he was every bit as good as he was defensively, but he was actually a decent offensive player that year. Like he shot the three really well. He, you know, was capable of these playoff, you know, the scoring uh, outbursts. And then their bench was incredible. Like the Warriors bench in 2016 with Leandro Barbosa and uh, um, uh, uh, Sean Livingston and Andre Iguodala, they were literally unbelievably good. And so the funny part mm-hmm. is like, you know, as, as we look as we look back, it's it's circumstance. Like the reason why LeBron won back-to-back MVPs and made it to the, uh, uh, to the finals and won twice was because Kobe had kind of fallen off a little bit, not necessarily, but his team had. And uh, Dirk uh, lost Tyson Chandler and his team kind of fell apart. Derrick Rose tore up his knee. Kevin Durant was still too young. Like all like kind of the Red Sea just kind of parted there at the same time that LeBron was peaking, you know. And so he kind of just slotted in there as this like like not default, but just he was way better than everybody. Like he was on a tier and then there was like nobody on the next tier. And then the rest of everybody was like on tier three. Well, you fast forward. It's not like LeBron's declined. It's just Kevin Durant got a hell of a lot better. Steph Curry got a hell of a lot better. James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, all these guys are now like climbing, climbing, climbing because the league is just so good that guess what? In 2018, even though he's every bit as good as he was, if not better than he was in 2013, his team isn't as good as he had when he was playing with Ray Allen and and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and all those guys. He's playing with Kevin Love and then a bunch of, of role players. And the rest of the league is completely, you know, like, like, you know, retooled into all of these really, really competitive basketball teams. And a bunch of these alpha dog superstars are peaking. And so, you know, these more often than not, it's the circumstances like, you know, I'm a huge LeBron fan. I think he's the best player in the world. But you want to know why he won the title last year? He won the title last year because he was playing with one of the best defenses ever. And Anthony Davis in the playoff run ascended to being one of the top three or four players in the world. Like, that's part of the story. And you, you never sure. want to you never want to go too far. You never want to make it so that you know winning doesn't matter because that's too far. But winning is only part of the story. There is a larger story to all of these players' experiences, and usually in their career, if they are a winner, they will win. Usually, so at some point in their career, you'll see where the things broke right. And their impact on winning was enough to put a team over the top. It's not perfect. There are players who were on the short end of the stick there. But for the most part, winning is the best indicator. But there are other indicators of what a player does to impact winning. Chris Paul is a fantastic example. That dude Mm -hmm. flat out impacts winning. But the stuff just hasn't broken right. And when you look at it, he's historically played with Blake Griffin, who's a bad playoff player. Like just a bad playoff player who in addition to that has struggled with health. And then he played with James Harden, who might be the worst playoff player relative to his regular season success ever. And then he played yeah. with Shea Gilgis Alexander. And, and so like the, the Chris Paul story is more complicated than hasn't won a championship. And I just, yeah. I, this is just a, a downside of the way basketball discourse has changed. But I, <laughs> I, I do think that, that, the, that is, it is important to tell the whole story of what it takes to win a championship. And it's not just my alpha dog is better than your alpha dog. It's it, there's so many other things that go into it. Right. And there, there's no one who watches Chris Paul, at least for me. Like, I don't know how you watch, watch Chris Paul and think like, he's the reason his teams aren't winning. Like even in the playoffs, he's a killer playoff performer. He averages like 25 and 10 in the playoffs. He's just ridiculous. So that's part of the story as well. And then winning's hard. I mean, unless you have LeBron or Curry or, you know, one of those all time greats on your team, you're not like winning. I mean, look at the titles from the last decade. LeBron's been to what? 10 straight finals. I mean, that's not an accident. That's because he's one of the greatest of all times. That's not by, you know, it's not by coincidence that teams win titles. Uh, Kawhi is one of few. I think his game kind of translates as well, pretty well to the playoffs. But you look at that, if you don't have like one of the all time or a couple superstars, you probably not going to win. I mean, it's just how it works in today's league. And uh, I like the Chris Paul analogy. He's one of my favorite players ever. I think he's the, second best point guard ever um and and all that kind of stuff but again like his teams just aren't good enough and if you watch him and you watch the context of his game you're not going to say he's the reason or give him rings culture or anything like that so um yeah i agree i think winning is all part of the the context of it and i don't know how you watch steph this year and just 
not be still amazed at what he can do no matter what his team is doing. I mean, he's, if you look at his cast of characters there, I mean, he's the only one really being able to do anything. So mm-hmm. him still averaging 30 and, you know, be able to be this efficient, this good, um, and still at this MVP level, which I'm not even sure the Warriors knew Steph was still going to be at this level. I mean, he was coming off a, an injury i think to his hand or something like that so and he's had like a tailbone injury recently but he's he's been great and he's obviously still at that top level and i think the warriors will kind of conduct their offseason that way i think they'll be able to build around him a little better than Mm -hmm. than last year and they know what they have in uh all their players so yeah i mean the steph conversation is is funny i i think you kind of agree with that he's probably the second best player in the game i mean that's where i rank him and I get yeah. I get I get framed as a Steph hater. It's the most ridiculous. Thing <laughs> yeah, I think that's all. Like I, again, I think we talked about this. When you get to the top five, you're splitting hairs. Really, I mean, you're going LeBron, Steph, KD. All those dudes impact winning at such a high level. I mean, you can kind of split hairs on the top three. But um, going with that, saying Steph is in that conversation is no diss to him. I mean, it's just he's one of the best in the whole game. And it, no matter what his cast is, he's going to impact winning at a at a super high level. So that I, I don't know. I don't think I don't think that debate really wins anything the warrior fans obviously want steph to get a finals mvp at some point i'm sure um so i feel like that's that's part of it but uh, yeah that that's where i see their debate is uh, i think i think uh he'll win one if the team is right but i don't know if they'll be able to build the talent with them so we'll see they're, they're in good shape i mean warrior fans got way too attached to the season in a way that they shouldn't have they should have just understood what it was from the beginning i mean like even even Laker fans got too attached last year, and, and don't, don't get me wrong. Like I I'm with you. I think they would have made a deep playoff run uh, had they been healthy. Um, but the, I mean, they just they were. How many times do you know where a bunch of young players can go win a championship? It just doesn't happen very often. And like LeBron right. can only do so much to to overcome that specific disadvantage. But the truth is, is they have two extremely good assets in James Wiseman and in this draft pick that they have next year. They have Clay Thompson coming back, and they have the second best player in the world under contract. Who's still playing really, really well. So they're going to have a much better chance next year, and, and they just need to relax. Um, but mm-hmm. I, my, my phone is blowing up with some work stuff that I got to deal with. So I've got to uh, to cut it off at this point. But is there anything else you wanted to add quickly before we get out of here? Uh, I think that's it. Uh, I think we, just, the only thing we didn't really touch on is that Jamal Murray got hurt. I think that kind of oh, really changes yeah. this whole uh, this whole playoff picture. We don't have to really go long on it, but that's really sad that he got kind of hurt because I think we both of us really like Denver, right? Their new team with uh, Aaron Gordon kind of uh, putting everyone in the correct role, and it kind of sucks. And people are saying that ACL tear probably keeps him out till a lot of next season as well. So probably a impacts chunk teams. of it probably decent chunk yeah so that's that's just really tough and it's sad so hopefully he gets rested up i still think denver's a tough team i don't think they're gonna be an easy out but obviously without murray it, it's gonna be really tough for them to really make a lot of noise so i guess that's the only thing is that that's really sad to see around the league that uh he got hurt and that's why we're seeing lebron and ad take their time like that's that's why you don't want freak injuries like this especially in this kind of compact i think denver played like six games in nine days or something something like that so i mean that that's the only thing but yeah that's pretty much it uh pretty much around some, the league. Of, some of it's bad luck like uh, like murray missed some time before that like it's not he wasn't yeah. actually one of the guys who'd been playing all that much it's just dude like like people get a little bit over attached like don't get me wrong the schedule has been really hard and it's been tough but like a lot of people are too critical of adam silver too critical of the understanding the situation the players did agree to this guess what you can rest if you need to rest and uh statistics show that injuries are more or less what they've been the last five years and actually lower than they were last year just perception is different from reality we yeah. we panic anytime we see anything it's no different than like you know one person dies from a blood clot from the vaccine even though seven million people got the shot and we don't even know if the blood <laughs> clot was what caused it but you know per- the perception is, is it just causes exactly fear. that's just how it works and you know, but at the end of the day, like it sucks because I actually thought the Nuggets were the second best team in the West behind the Lakers. I thought they Same. were going. I thought they were going to beat the Clippers. Like they were just if they saw the Clippers in the first or second round, like it was going to be the bet of the century, in my opinion. And 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 they and they lost that chance, which is which is really unfortunate. But um, anyway, yeah. So uh, I'm going to uh, put the podcast version of this up shortly. Uh, Raj, thank you as always, and we'll talk about maybe doing a locker room sometime next week. Yep, let's do it. All right, buddy. Have a good weekend. I'll talk to you later. See you, everybody. All right, bye.